You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Millennials are like, I think in my mind, it's like 32 to 45 is the millennial. Well, no, I guess it's a little younger. 25 to 45 is millennial. I think. Okay. Like you're a millennial, aren't you? Millennial. And you're a Gen X. I'm a Gen X. But you're a young Gen X, and you're an older millennial, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you're the pioneer. Tell us about your experience working with Gen Z. Are we Z. going right no, now? No, I'm oh, practicing the oh, question. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then... Felt real, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> Welcome, Shine. Is it Pod. happening? <laughs> it was. <laughs> you didn't give like a, a three, two, one. Three, two, one. Welcome, Shine podcast listeners. It's Elizabeth. It's Catherine. And we are here in season three of the Shine podcast with a familiar face and voice, Mr. Jacob Scheller. Hey, I'm okay. happy. Hey, happy to be All here. All the way from hey. Raleigh, North Carolina. Drove eight hours just for this moment right here. <laughs> Jacob was actually our first interview that we had on the Shine podcast listener almost two years ago. You can check out his original podcast from September 27th, 2020. Have you listened to it again? No, I don't like the sound of my voice. So I send it to people that I know. I have them. Rate it? Not rate it, but they give me, ask them for the feedback. Similar with anytime I preach, I just, how do you feel about that? And they'll tell me because I don't like to listen to the sound of my voice. But I've been told recently I need to get over that if I want to get any better. You do. I'll say that nicely. Get Jacob, <laughs> Jacob has a goal of being on 30 podcasts by the time he's 30. So oh, this is number, number four, four. Number four. Creep it along. And 23. He's 23. I think as you get in your deeper 20s, as more and more podcasts start popping up, I think my rate, my chances go, I hope, get higher. Do you think the, podcasts are going away, though? No. I think they're here to stay. You know, Joe Rogan started in the early 2000s, and yeah. they thought he was crazy. Oh and now gosh. he's the richest content maker. I think. I, he gets lots of money for yeah. uh, three hours just talking to people. Yeah, where's so. my money? Have you monetized this podcast? No. Thought we're you not got, making any money. I <laughs> thought you got, for every 1,000 listens, I think you get a penny Oh wow! on Spotify. Are you holding out on me, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> we did have that conversation when we put the album, like the worship team album, we put that on Spotify. And I think we do have about like five cents. Nice. Or something like that. Incredible. It is 1000 for a penny. Last time we had Jacob on the show, he was a single 20-year-old, maybe 21-year-old, on his way to the second year of Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry in Redding, California. And now we are graced with his wife in the room. Miss Jenna Brogdon-Scheller is joining us over in the corner. Since Bethel, Jacob has moved across the nation from California to, he actually lives in Cary, North Carolina, but he works mm. at Catch the Fire in North Carolina. He's the youth pastor there. Mm-hmm. Been there for 13 months. 
Jenna and Jacob have been married since December. Fifth. He's the proud caretaker of a bonsai tree. <laughs> I just snipped its branches for the first time, actually. His hobbies include board games, card games, any kind of game. <laughs> we just got off the pickleball court. FYI, if you go in the morning at Firestone Park, there's a Senior Olympics pickleball club there. And yeah, I got schooled. They're serious. Schooled us and they were trying to correct your play or Both. they were playing with but you. But it was like a gentle correction. They were kind about it. They were kind. They beat us up pretty bad, but they were nice to us. That was bad. Mom and I beat Jordan and Jenna 11 to 2. Is pickleball a thing like down south? Yeah. It's a phenomenon right now. Okay. Yeah. So... New to season three, which we've been starting some of these as we are running out of people to interview for their personal stories because we've already interviewed 90 plus people and everyone else that I've asked is like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> no. We are also going to be doing some topical interviews with people who are content experts. So we've got Jacob on expert. here today as a content expert. <laughs> 13 months. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about my craft. We're talking about Gen Z and faith. And Jacob is in the Gen Z generation himself. He's at the very cusp of it. It depends on what platform you look up. It's 1997, 98, 99, 2000. Jacob was born in 1999. So he's like the old Gen mm -hmm. Z. The forerunner. But he also is working with them now. Jacob, tell us about how you got into youth ministry. I think I've always worked with youth. When I was a kid at the Y, I worked at the summer camps, Camp Curiosity, Camp Nehigh. I was a counselor apprentice there, and I always thought it was fun. Flash forward a couple years, and I was a camp counselor at Camp Fitch, and I still just really enjoyed working with students. But I, I just enjoy being around students. I enjoy... I kind of enjoy how like shapeable they are in a sense. I think sometimes when you wander into pastoring adults, not that anyone's too far gone, but people can get set in their ways and it's a little harder to pastor and lead and disciple them. When I was moving to North Carolina to get engaged and get married, the job was sent to Bethel and I applied. When the position was offered to me and I saw like job youth pastor, I was like, yeah, wow, that actually is probably perfect for where I'm at right now and what I wanted to do, kind of where I wanted to be going. And uh, so I just applied and ended up getting the job in Raleigh. It was a great transitional period. Normally when you take youth pastor jobs, I've learned, it's like somebody got axed and it's ugly or messy. This was not that. The youth pastor was getting promoted and there was a beautiful probably a nine month transition period, which made everything really smooth. But that gave me an opportunity to just get to know the students, spend a lot of time with them. And I, I still, I really enjoy working with young students. Don't get me wrong, they're still extremely frustrating at times, but I think the good far outweighs the bad. That's the, the short tail of it. I've just always kind of been doing it and then I kept doing it. But this time I get to bring Jesus into the, right in the middle of it. So you said you've been with them for 13 months. Was nine months of that in training? I got hired as the associate youth pastor. I so, was doing a lot of the roles, but yeah. I wasn't head of the, like my boss, his name's Aaron, was over me as the youth pastor. So he was still coming every Wednesday. And then after nine months, we had a send off for him into senior So it's kind pastor. of been yours for the last four, four months or five so. months. Yeah. yeah. A lot of time to learn. I got to 
do all of the events under him. Yeah. So I wasn't kind of trying to figure it out as we were going. And I appreciated it. And I like how they did that a lot. Malcolm Gladwell has this rule where he says, in order for anyone to become an expert in their field, they have to have baseline 10,000 hours in. And uh, yeah, that's a lot. I started young. I mean, summers. You sure did. I was going to say. <laughs> summers. They don't tell you. for a while. They don't tell you. Like camp counseling, when you work at a camp, you're doing 17-hour days. And so for 10 weeks, so that's 170 hours. Oh, wow. That is actually not a lot. When I. But I mean, over the years, they stack up. You're on your way. Yeah, I'll get there. I'll yeah. be at 10,000 hours by 35, maybe. Okay. Oh, that's my second goal on this podcast. Get to 10,000. Yeah. Work with youth for 10,000 hours by the time I'm 35. And by that time, I will have been on 30 podcasts. So we should change that. We don't have a content expert on today. We have a content oh. rookie, but he's got a lot of <laughs> great information call me, to you share. You can call me a professional because I get paid. True. Yeah. We're not even professionals. Con- <laughs> <laughs> Is that hey, what it takes? You, 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 you amateur podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So, Jacob, tell us, what have you noticed about Generation Z when it comes to faith? I have noticed a couple things. I think the first one is, this is a little derogatory, but they really don't know Scripture that well. They are not biblically literate. There's these statistics that have said that Gen Z is the first post-Christian generation, which I think we're still learning really everything that that means for a whole generation. Yeah, I feel like we're too early in to yeah. completely understand how We that know it's post-Christian, out. but we don't really know what everything that means. But I will say even working with students who come to church frequently, they don't really know their Bibles. I mean, when I was growing up, we had VeggieTales. I mean, Adventures in Odyssey was huge when I was a kid. I know they're still making these things, but they've changed a lot. So for Jordan and I, my brother, when we were growing up, we were so familiar with scripture that even if we weren't necessarily reading it, you knew Moses or Gideon or Joshua or Daniel or Paul, Peter, the whole bit. And I think a lot of students, especially ones that are new to church, they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. They know not one thing. On the flip side of that, anytime I really get onto a student about reading their Bible, I think it's been like clockwork. The next Wednesday they'll come and they'll be like, I read my Bible this week. And it was awesome. I feel so empowered or so strong. I, it's always like, just just keep doing it. Just keep reading. So that's my first observation is they are biblically illiterate, but when they do read the Bible, I think it actually does something to them. So they're not biblical illiterate for the sake of they just don't like scripture. I think they just don't know scripture. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is I think they get generalized a lot. I think there is a lot of stuff that gets pushed on Gen Z that was true for a lot of other generations because Gen Z is the generation that's currently going through this, you know, the transgender, the freedom of homosexuality, the freedom of just sexuality, period. And I think we're really quick to be like, yeah, it's their fault. But I look back at the 70s and, and they called that the sexual revolution. So this is not the first time in our nation's history where stuff like this has happened. I think technology makes everything way bigger and way worse than it probably should be. But I would just say, I think there's a lot of generalizations about Gen Z that could be true for any generation that we've ever had. They're just young and being born into this. So it again, it just looks different. 
And we don't know what they're going to look like in their 30s and their 40s because we're not there yet. So mm-hmm. that would be the second thing. And then the third thing is they're so entrenched in technology. They were born with it. I have kids in my youth group who are 15. And so if you're 15, that means you were born in 2007. So by the time they were in elementary school, iPhones were, what, 2012 is probably the iPhone 5 at least. And we've seen how it has changed lives from the millennial generation for a generation Z. I don't think they're aware that the space even exists because it has just always been filled with technology. Mm. I think it's problematic for a couple reasons. You have your sin related issues with technology, but then there's just this other side of there is no space in their life because they fill it with scrolling. We all like, again, that's not just a generation Z thing, but I think they've just grown up and not known there is life outside of it. There's life away from it. There's a lot more fulfilling things. So I think when they start to learn, which we'll get into this later, but as they start to learn, there's more constructive ways to fill your space. I think that could be really, really cool to see what happens. So those are my, I would say three basic things. I also think they, this is one I want to address too, is that everybody, I think you'll see a lot of Instagram Gen Z people, like Christian Gen Z people, that will just kind of say like, they're hungry, they're hungry, they're hungry for authenticity. They're hungry for something real. They don't want this like fake church that we've been doing. And as a Gen Z, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I am hungry for something real and something authentic. But I've wondered recently if we've made that concept of authenticity a trophy or a final destination and not a everyday part of your life. So for these Gen Z that they are probably hungry for something real or something authentic, I almost just want to encourage, and I do encourage them. It's like your day to day is where authenticity comes in. How you are on your best day does not define what authentic is. Like your best church service you've ever experienced, Mm -hmm. right? Like that is not the definition of authentic Christianity. That's really good. Appreciate that. Because I feel like if authenticity is the end all be all, if Mm -hmm. it's the ideal that you're always striving towards, you'll never find it in a place or in a people. Yeah. I feel like, yes, it's something to work in striving for. But like you're saying, if a church service isn't 100% authentic Mm -hmm. in every single way, and it's difficult because authenticity can feel intangible. It is, but it's something that like you have an opinion about and I have yeah, an opinion yeah, yeah, about yeah. and what was authenticity uh-huh. to you and what was it to me? Yeah. And so if that's the only thing that matters, yeah. it can become very... Because you can walk muddy. out of a church service and your best friend could be like, that was the best service I've ever been to. And in your head, you're thinking that felt really performancey, or you right. know what? I actually didn't really enjoy that. So that's conversation about like, why are you at a church service period? Different conversation, but... No, I like that so much that it's not the end-all be-all. You know, it's something that's really Mm -hmm. important, and it's something that we're looking to do. Yeah. You can't live in the ideal Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. And not just in church everywhere. Sorry. So, Jacob, we have a lot of listeners out there who've got kids in their lives. They may be grandparents, parents, mentors, coaches, teachers. What's your advice for us in the best way to support this generation you know, you had mentioned that we they're the first generation that are living in a post-Christian world. 
I remember having the conversation with you about one of our friends who didn't even know who David and Goliath was. And we were like shocked. Like, what do you mean you don't know who David and Goliath are? (laughs) And, you know, it's kind of a foreign concept to us that have grown up in the church and raised our kids in the church. But give us some advice for us grandparents and parents and friends of this generation on how we can support them in their Christian walk and in their faith journey. I just want to preface this answer with, I am a, a professional, sure, but I'm not an expert. So the genuine answer is, I don't know, but there are some things I think could be definitely helpful. I actually was reflecting on like what it looked like when I was that age. I was going to send Chris this birthday text. I didn't send it. Maybe I'll still send it. But I just remember when I was that age, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I felt frustrated and kind of like wishy wash. Nah. I was kind of coming out of a wishy-washy phase in my Christianity, and Chris's birthday notification popped up on my Mac last week. I remember thinking, after we did a senior service at Upper Room, I preached, and it was great, and I was like, oh, that was fun. But I remember Chris actually pulled me under his wing and kind of genuinely kept the door open for, was intentional and then kept the door open frequently for nights where I was like, hey, I have these questions, or hey, I just want to talk about God tonight. And I would show up at Kate and Chris's house, and they would put Kana and Rin to bed, and the calves would be on TV, and we would sit and we would talk for hours. And I, as an 18-year-old at the time, 17 or 18, I was, I think 18 years old at the time, and I think that actually meant a lot more to me than anything overtly spiritual that could be done like showing up for a service on a sunday yeah like showing up for a service or like how can i pray for you or sending me bible verse things like like <laughs> i think it was just for me personally i think it was just a genuine like hey i see this in you i'm calling this out of you i think you could be really good at this and i'm gonna like try to be intentional to steward this in you and then he actually did it that was the cool thing for me was that it was like I don't know I was coming over probably once a week at like 9 p.m. and they didn't care and that was really cool I was just thinking if Chris hadn't done that I genuinely wondered I still wonder would I be a youth pastor today all that to say I think my first point would be these people more than they need this spiritual spirituality kind of shoved at them. I think they just need people that they can safely be around who are going to disciple and mentor them into people they should be. Like you may see it as so insignificant, but for me, I genuinely look at that time as life altering or shifting. What you as a parent or a coach or mentor or whatever, your two hours on a Tuesday night genuinely could shift the outlook of somebody's world. And, you know, Chris was a pastor who saw pastoral things in me and called those out. And I think it can go beyond that. Like you could be in business and see qualities of good business person in a young student and to call them out and be like, hey, I see this in you and kind of like lead them. Like, what does it look like to be a godly business leader? What does it look like to be a godly nurse? What does it look like to be a godly stay at home mom to teach kind of uh, one on one through the setting of life? Like there's not a I'm going to have this. Bible study at a coffee shop with you. Not that I think that's bad, but it's like you kind of do life together and you're just leading them and discipling them and mentoring them 
along the way. My second point is Jesus was a really good disciple of younger people. I read this article. The youngest disciple was probably 14. Some argue that the oldest disciple was 14. If you look at Jesus, Jesus was always reactive instead of proactive. Frequently allowed disciples to do something really stupid and then corrected them. It didn't always seem gently when I read scripture, but he always corrected after the fact. So James and John see Samaritans and they're, they say, should we burn them? Should we call fire oh, from heaven to kill them? And Jesus is like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I just like that Jesus, we know from other scriptures, he knew what was in the hearts of men. He knew it was in the, even the thoughts of men at times. He let them say what they were going to say and then took their mistake as the kind of the means to bring correction and discipleship. So for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and mentors, I would say it is okay if your child does something really stupid. And in that post-stupid mistake, that is the area where actual discipling can come in. Because as a student, I know, I think you were a great mom. I think there was a lot of things you did really well, but I remember it was the preemptive stuff that always rubbed me the wrong way. It was like, I haven't actually done anything. Why am I in pre-trouble for doing something I didn't even do? I know what you're thinking. I see that look <laughs> on your face. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one thing they say about Gen Z is they've been raised by helicopter parents. I was just watching this woman online saying, you know, being raised in the 80s, and the early 90s was the comedian. best way to be raised because she was saying they actually had commercials that were put on at night. That were Do saying, you know where your children are? Do you know where your children are? It's 10 p.m. I mean, that was just the culture. It was just like your evening reminder to find your children. Do you know where your children are? It's That's 10 p.m. That is wild. And I, so funny because, I mean, we sometimes think about helicopter parents as being like, you know, on it all the time. I think they're also very scheduled. Right. So yeah. your generation has been in youth sports, organized youth sports mm -hmm. since you were four. Funny story about Jacob. I signed him up for soccer when he was four years old. He had a lot of energy and needed to run off some of that steam. And he said, I'm going to email the coach and edit myself off of the team. <laughs> you know, our generations, we used to go and play pickup games in the field, learned how to work things out. There were no referees. There were no parent coaches. We were just out in the field by ourselves playing sports. And that has changed because everything involves adult supervision. I mean, there's plenty of ways that parents can just get to know where their child is at at all times. And I, I am not a parent, so everything I say is through the lens of I disciple 13-year-olds and not I have one of my own. But just adding to the point where it is a lot more helicoptery for sure than it used to be. And I still think I had a lot of free range as a child. Granted, I used my free range to be at my school from 5 a.m. to midnight, but I was got to choose to do that. But Any other advice? Oh, so I just going back, I would say that my second thing would be it is okay to be reactive and to actually teach in the reactive moments instead of the proactive moments. Because there's not actually a lesson to be taught if your kid hasn't done anything yet. And I mean, scripturally, where do people really learn? Through the, yeah. After the experience, after they've done something. Mm -hmm. As a parent, though, we're like, please ah. learn from our mistakes. Yeah. Like, just take my word for it. Yeah. That's not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, the same Jesus that gave 
the disciples rebuke after they had sinned or messed up was also the same God that created the law as the standard to live by. That's good. So I am absolutely not saying that like, let your kids do whatever they want. Don't set guidelines. But yes, I wouldn't overreact at the breaking of guidelines because it we all have done stupid stuff. You know, you bring up a good point talking about Chris bringing you in and spending one-on-one time with you. And Jenna was on the podcast talking about the power of one and just stopping for the one and changing people's lives. And Marnie talked about it last week where she went to an orchard and her spiritual mom and dad, they just did life with her. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's underrated Mm -hmm. in our society. We think, oh, we need to be leading a big group or a big Bible study or it needs to be, you know, a sermon and this big thing. And really carving out time for one Two, it's not like everybody's discipling mm-hmm. tons of people, but pouring your life into someone's life, yeah. the impact that that has is so important. I would like to see us as a church. I mean, this is one of the reasons why for all of our women's ministry activities, we are inviting girls in seventh grade and up to come alongside and be involved in whatever we're doing. I want us to build relationships with our young people. I want them to know us. I want them to feel like they are a part of something and not like, oh, it's an elite group when you're an adult. But Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why we do open our women's events up to seventh grade and up. And it's so fun to see them when they come chit-chatting. You know, we had a picnic and we had a couple of the girls there and Jaden was one of them and just visiting with some of the older women and how enjoyable that was for them and getting to know that. So I think that that is important that we as a church family, even if we don't have kids, are looking out at the folks, the young people in our midst and learning how to connect and getting to know their names and checking in on them. And it not just be the parents, but I tell all our people, you guys are section greeters, but you also should be youth ambassadors, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no matter what stage of life you're in. I would just encourage you to be an ambassador for our youth in our midst. Yeah, I like everything you said there is the direction of which our youth leadership team is headed. So it's my first full year of being here and I've changed some of the expectations, not greatly. But one of the things I added was we will disciple two students once a month. And I didn't even feel bad saying that because how can you have a heart for youth but not be intentional for two hours of a whole month? I don't think that's that big. I think I could ask bigger and get away with it. But just to that point, like that's the direction I want to start going is less about what happens on a Wednesday and more about, oh, what happened on your Tuesday afternoon with such and such child or your Saturday morning. You know what I mean? I think to that point, I think you're absolutely right. And that's the direction I want to start going is what would it look like if we were just more engaged in the lives of our students compared to kind of a week to week I think youth group's good. I think Sunday church is good. I'm just saying that extra. It's like going out of your way because it it means a lot more to a 14-year-old to be like, I want to get coffee with you on a Tuesday or I want to go play basketball with you Saturday morning than it is to say hi to them at the event that they've come to every week for the last three or four years. And we are so appreciative here at the Upper Room for our youth leaders, Josh Graham, who's leading youth group, and Wesley and Josh, who teach Sunday school for the middle school and the high schoolers, and 
we are so appreciative of the work they do, but it's not their job alone. We shouldn't be like, oh, we have a youth pastor and a Sunday school, senior high Sunday school teacher. We don't need to worry about that. It's all of our jobs to reach out and be interested in our youth and pour into them. The disclaimer that some students can be really awkward. I'm just going to throw it out there. It can be really weird or antisocial or this or this or that, but I promise through intentional pursuit, you can break any student open in a matter of time. So, Okay, Jacob, well, tell us, what are you hopeful for after working with just generation for years for and years professionally and years and years. Yeah. for 13 months? I think my biggest hope, I think I have faith for it more than I have hope for it, but they are an under-evangelized, biblically illiterate generation. And I think if you look back through history... This is normally the types of people that Jesus chooses to come to. I would say, this might be a little bit of a hot take, I would say the church, Big C Church, has done its fair share of kind of naysaying this younger generation and excluding them from the table in some ways because of those reasons. Biblically literate, they actually don't know Jesus, they don't care, all of those things. And I think I I know I have faith that this is the type of people who God comes to and who God moves with. And it's like, if the church won't do it, I believe Jesus will. Like, Mm. he's not going to let a generation just fall by the wayside. Right. So I'm excited. You know what? This is a generation that has its hand in all sorts of content creation and all sorts of media influence and what happens if you start knocking dominoes down justin bieber is the kind of broad example but he preaches the gospel at every concert he does now and his music is listened to by billions of people so did you listen to his one he just put out yesterday he no i didn't know he had a new stuff an album or a single single that's good so i think with that Jesus, when he does come into the picture for this generation, I think they control so much of the trends. Like it or not, 15-year-olds control what 35-year-olds wear. And what we watch, what we wear, it is decided by young people. That's kind of what gives me hope that when Jesus comes into the picture with this younger generation, that will start to change the outlook of how maybe like that does change what we wear. That does change what we watch, what we listen to, what we're reading, I think. So I have hope that when when Jesus comes into the picture and when this generation starts to turn towards the Lord, that the other generations will almost follow and will know their place as pastors and mentors and leaders in this younger generation's life. That is what I'm hopeful for, is to see Gen Z for Jesus, big movement. But there is something about when God gets a hold of youth, there is something about older generations responding to that absolutely and it's funny because you don't see the inverse of that yeah really you don't see like yeah. an older generation on fire and the younger generation being like oh yeah, we yeah, yeah, be. yeah. <laughs> yeah. i don't know well it makes that. me think about the beginning of the upper room and russ and shirley supporting dave and bruce in what ultimately started as the upper room mm-hmm. and it's been a church for 50 years now like their heart to support the youth in they were 12 13 15 years old back then the legacy that russ and shirley left to us as a church beautiful thing justin bieber's new single beautiful love that sounds christian 
Well, tell me in the midst of all of that, are you seeing, I mean, I know I appreciate that you're expressing what you're hopeful for, but do you feel like you're seeing anything now or have you seen anything supernatural? Yeah, I'm going to shout him out because he's, I love this guy dearly. We have a seventh grader now named Angel in our youth group who was just a, I don't want to say rough kid, but he was just goofy. He did come from a non-Christian background, and then his parents had a radical conversion, and their whole family is really going for it. But wow. he was like our problem kid at youth, in a good way. Like, <laughs> he was too loved, so everyone was always talking to him. Like, during worship, he was in and out of the room, getting water, talking during the sermon, flipping <laughs> bottles. Like What's just, that sound like? I know, I know. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like him so much. But I started to just, I don't want to say get on him, but just started to bring kind of gentle correction to him every time that he would do stuff. And I started pulling him out. Like I've taken him out and we've gotten ice cream and went and played soccer once together. But, and just been encouraging him. There, I mean, there were a couple times that I had to like rebuke him to the point where he was mad at me. And then I see students Wednesday and then I see them again on Sunday. So I made a mat on Wednesday and then on Sunday came and gave me a big hug. But this summer though, I don't know what even happened. It was like I blinked and he's now like this on fire Christian who very engaged in worship, listens, still talks a little bit during the sermons, but has become a good influence for the youth group at seventh grade. Like he's probably one of the leaders of the youth group. And I always joked with him when he was kind of pesky and stuff. I was like, I can't believe I have six more years with you. And now I'm like, I'm so pumped for five more years with this kid because I'm seeing these kind of naturally progress. And he's not afraid. This kid's not afraid of anything. Runs his mouth. Like used to run his mouth. He just doesn't care. Like he's not afraid of people. He's not afraid of things. And I'm. it's like watching him start to light up. I'm just, what could he do? So that's been cool. We have seen a lot of supernatural stuff in our youth group as well. At our youth camp this summer, there was a student who brought, he had a broken growth plate in his foot, couldn't walk, couldn't play the games, was bummed about it all week, had a very Holy Spirit-filled night. I was probably a dozen students praying for him, and one of our youth leaders looked him in the eye and was like, Titus, get up and run. And he got up and he ripped his boot off and he just started running laps around the sanctuary. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was stuck in place for 10 minutes. The room erupted. Oh, it was electric. His foot was so broken. It's not like one of those, oh, he was like kind of not broken. His foot was so broken, he didn't even bring a right shoe to camp, which was, his boot was on his right foot. So his foot gets healed, and he's now barefoot the rest of the week because he didn't have a shoe to wear on the other foot that the boot was on. That was awesome. One of our LITs actually had a back surgery a couple years ago and was dealing with consistent back pain, basically chronically. And that same night, she was praying about it, frustrated, and the Lord was like, get up and dance and I'll heal your back. And she got up and she started dancing. And she actually didn't tell us his testimony for two weeks because she was scared it was an in the moment kind of adrenaline thing, but she hasn't felt back pain since camp, which is now over a month ago. That was really cool. So we're seeing God work and God move. And our children's pastor even just said that they had seven people get their prayer language this last Sunday at a Sunday school service. And 
I mean, it just gets you stoked. Mm -hmm. Like they can, they want to, they will, but it's those learning to like get them. This is what I mean. We have to do life with them because they need to be taught the disciplines of Christianity. Right. It's almost like the supernatural comes too easily. That's probably a bad way of saying it, but the supernatural is common to them Mm. to the point where it's like, that's the nat, like, oh yeah, especially being in the culture of Catch the Fire, which was Toronto Blessing kind of the start of a lot of movements we see today was originated from Catch the Fire. But a lot of these students are used to seeing these things. Like Mm. they're used to tongues. They're used to prophecies. They're used to healings. And it's like that has become the natural and the disciplines are now the like supernatural that needs achieved. (laughs) So I think that's where coming alongside of them, doing life with them, encouraging them in the disciplines of Christianity And you'll see a generation that has faith for incredible things already begin. And has the like obedience behind it with the discipline. And when it all comes together, it's that right there. That's like, shut it down. It's done. That's amazing. That's why I have so much faith is because I see their faith for some things. And then they're just the lack of knowing what to do on the regular. It's like, okay, I know what we can work on. And. It's nice because the answer is like, oh, I just need to start living with you, not move in. But it Doing takes, life. The, yeah, it takes the pressure of like, I need to teach them this, this, and this. And like, I oh, don't. It's okay. We have time. Well, for those of you who are a part of the upper room, we have an amazing group of young people in our midst. They're precious. They serve diligently in the Sunday school program. They are beautiful people and. If you don't know any of them, I just encourage you to start praying for them and being an advocate for youth in our midst. And if you're not a part of our upper room, I'm sure there's youth in your life that you can start praying for and doing life with and spending a little extra time showing them that you care. And pray for ours too. Yeah. And for those of you, I forgot (laughs) to mention this at the beginning, but if you're new to the upper room and new to the podcast, Jacob has grown up at the upper room since he was four years old and graduated from, from here. So he's, he spent his youth here at the upper room. And so it's great to have you back. Thanks for coming all the way from North Carolina. Just for, just for number four podcast yeah. and Memorial Day weekend, but no, just for this one. Glad to have you here. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.